God acts to preserve us in times of temptation. He preserves us in times of despair. And He preserves us in times of crisis. If we will let Him, we can thank God for His preserving power. In the 18th Psalm, David, who is now approaching his senior years, looks back on the decades of God's preserving power in his life. And he writes, what we have is this 18th Psalm. Turn with me in your Bibles if you will do so. It parallels with a similar prayer recorded in 2 Samuel 22. David looks back over how God has preserved him in times of crisis and how God has preserved him even in failure in times of temptation and how God has preserved him at times of despair in his life. His mind wanders back to a ten-year period in his life between when he was anointed to be the king of Israel and when he actually became king. And those ten years were spent running from Saul who was the current king of Israel and was determined to kill David. David is reminded of the caves that he hid out in, the clefts of the rock that he sought to try to preserve his life. And David also, as he writes here, is reminded of God's covenant with him. When God had come to him early in his life and said, David, I'm going to preserve you. I'm going to preserve your household. Someday... The Messiah is going to come through your line. And David looks back and realizes that crisis after crisis, temptation after temptation, challenge after challenge, God, when on the good days and the bad days, had been faithful to keep the covenant that he had made to David. The covenant was the backdrop for everything that happened between God and David. The New Old Testament is filled with the concept of covenant. And there are three basic aspects to the covenant. Number one, God takes the initiative. He comes to His servant or His servants and He says, I want to enter into a deeper relationship with you. God takes the initiative. Second, God makes promises. And in those promises, God is bounding Himself by His own word to fallible human beings. And He had made that promise to David. And then third, there's a human response. You and I must choose that if we are going to know the benefit of the covenant, that we choose to live that out, to enter into the covenant, into that deeper relationship with God. And David looks back at how he has worked through that through the years and through the decades with God. We saw several weeks ago in Psalm 3 that David thanked God for his protection. We saw last week in Psalm 8 how David thanked God for the experience of the majesty of God, that call to worship God in His greatness. And today we're going to see how we can give thanks to God for His preserving power, His ability to preserve us and hold us to Himself. Psalm 18, we're going to look at the first two verses and then later on in the message we'll skip down into some other sections of it. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, 
my stronghold. Now what David does here is he, as he writes this, he engages in what we call Hebrew parallelism, and that is that the ancient Hebrews, when they wanted to really make a point, they would say similar things repetitively over and over again. And these first two verses are sort of like the layers of a cake. It's just layer after layer after layer of who God is and his titles that he uses. Now, notice how David begins this. And my sermon outline is contained in your bulletin. I invite you to follow along if you would. He says, I love you, O Lord. The word love there is a word that wasn't used that often in the Old Testament. Uh, in the original Hebrew here. It's a fascinating word. It speaks of an expression of love that is spontaneous and impulsive and intense. David looked back on all that God had done when he looked at what God was doing in his life then. He said, Lord, he just sort of rolled out of him spontaneously. Lord, I love you. I can't help but express how much I love you. Now, those of you that are married, or hope to be married, have you ever had those spontaneous, unplanned expressions of love? Some of you wives are thinking, yeah, several decades ago, I do remember that, but it's been a while. I remember back in the day when Helen and I were dating, they had uh, Hallmark stores. They're sort of passing off the scene now. You can go to Walmart and get about the same thing. But in those days, you used to walk in, they had all these cards and all these kind of gifts, etc. And I used to, back in those days, I used to tell guys, I said, your best friend is Hallmark. Just go in there and there's no end of what you can't get uh, for your girlfriend or for your wife, etc. And I used to love to go in there. But in order to really experience a hallmark and what it could do for you, you had to have some spontaneous expressions. In other words, you'd walk in there and say, man, I think she'd like this, or I think she'd like that, or I think she'd like the other, and just sort of you know, get a wild hair about you and go and get that and go in there and give it and just see what kind of expression she was going to have. One of the things I used to love to do with Helen now, when we were dating, she lived in the Fredericksburg area, and I lived in northern Virginia at the time. And this was back, I'm going to say really ancient here, this was back before social media and texting and all of that, okay? So uh, we used to, I had to mail stuff to her. I used to love to put stuff in the cards to surprise her, stuff that when she opened the card, it would fall out all over the place, like confetti or whatever, uh, etc. And... It was just those spontaneous type of deals. That's what he's talking about here when he says, I love you, O Lord. David is looking at God and he says, you know, I hadn't planned on saying this to you, Lord, and I really hadn't worked it out, but man, it's just inside of me and it's just got to explode out of me, God, who you are and what you are. And you know, what David is saying here is what we need to do from time to time with the Lord. Everything we have with God doesn't have to be just really planned out, etc. The more you grow in your love for Jesus, there are going to be times when it just spontaneously, like it's just combustible inside of you, comes out and you've got to tell Jesus you love Him, how important He is to you, how great He is, what He means to your life, and that's what He does here. And the way He does it is by beginning to go through sort of a crescendo, if you will, of titles of who God God is. I love you who? Oh Lord. Hebrew name for God there. Yahweh. I love you Yahweh. That is the covenant name of God. And David is saying, God, I 
love you as the one who entered into covenant with me and has stayed in covenant with me. You made promises to me and there were many hours that I wondered if you were going to keep those promises. When I was stuck back in caves and knew that Saul with his great big army was coming after me and if he got a hold of me, it was all over with. I look back, Lord, and I see that your hand was there and you were sustaining me and you were protecting me and you saw me through, God. You are the one who has kept His promises. You are Yahweh. And folks, periodically it does us so good, no matter where we are in life, to step back and look at what God has done and how God has walked with us and how God has preserved us and how God has gotten us to this point. And to say, Lord, the journey is not over with and the journey has got a long distance to go, but thank you that you got me to where I am right now. And sometimes it hadn't been too easy and it hadn't been too pretty. But that's not the issue, Lord. You got me here. You preserved me. Your power and your grace and your love has been sufficient. You are Yahweh. I love you, O Lord. I love you, my strength. The word strength there is the idea of strength in battle. David is saying, Lord, life for me a lot of times has been a battle. It has been a struggle. But you have been there with me. Listen, folks, God never promised to remove the struggle. He never promised to remove the battle. But He did promise to be with us in the battle. It's sort of the idea of tag team wrestling. You're out there on the mat. And you're giving it everything you've got, and you start getting tired, and you start getting worn out, etc. And you don't know if you can stay in it or not. And then you look over there, and you see your teammate, and he's full of energy, and he's fresh, and he hadn't gotten on the mat yet. So what do you do? With every last bar of energy you got inside of you, you reach the hand out, you reach the hand out, you're praying, can he get a hold of my hand? Can he get a hold of my hand? And as soon as you feel that tap on your hand, you know, you breathe a sigh of relief. He jumps in, and he's got fresh energy, and he takes on your opponent. And wherever you were just about pinned, he jumps in, and he flips the opponent, and just about, and then he goes on to help pin the opponent. And you're standing on the side, breathing hard, but you're watching your teammate do what you couldn't do. And what David is saying here is, Lord, as I've gone through life, You've been my strength every time the devil just about pinned me, every time it looked like Saul was going to pin me, every time it looked like the circumstances of my life were going to pin me. I reached my hand out and I said, God, would you tap it? Lord, would you grab hold of my hand? God, would you get me through this? And I felt your hand on my hand and you jumped in the ring and you got me through it, Lord. And when you got on the mat and instead of being pinned on the mat, I watched you pin the opposition on the mat. You, Lord, are my strength. You, Lord, are my rock. Fascinating word that he uses here for rock. It means the cleft in a rock. Now, over in the Middle East, there are hills and mountains everywhere. Most of them are pretty much just barren, big shafts of rock. But in those rocks... There are what are called clefts. And the clefts are deep indentions into the side of a hill or a mountain. And if you go up in those, you are protected on multiple sides by the rock. 
David, for 10 years, those, were, those clefts were his home. He had to keep going and hiding out in those clefts because Saul was coming after him. And David would go back in there and he would get back in the depths of those clefts where he was surrounded by rock and that's where he was safe. And he's saying, Lord, you are my rock. And there was another interesting aspect to those rocks. Those clefts deep back in them were where bees loved to build their nest full of honey. And so when you went back in those clefts, if you looked at and you found where the bees were, you could access the honey. And if you ever do any kind of study on the nutritional value of honey, honey is one of the best things that you can eat for nutritional value and help. And so David knew what it was to go back in the cleft of a mountain, find a beehive, start eating the honey, and he was being nourished back in there in addition to being protected And what he says here is, Lord, you are my rock. You are the cleft that I go back into for protection, but you are also the one who nourishes my spirit and nourishes my soul when I'm back in there. Please hear me on this. God is not interested in alone protecting you. He will protect our souls, but he wants to do more than just protect us. He wants to nourish us. You see, when David came out from the rock, he didn't come out bending and looking all around and weak, etc. When David came out of those cleft areas, he came out energized and empowered and ready for what was out there ahead of him. That's the reason year after year, and for 10 years he was able to pull it off because he wasn't just being protected, he was being nourished. And at the end of 10 years, he came out stronger than when he was when he went in there. And folks, when God protects us and he places us back in the rock, so to speak. He is there not just to protect our soul, but to nourish us, to empower us, to come out stronger than when we went in. He says next, verse 2, you are my fortress. It was the idea in that day of a city with great walls around it. When they built cities in the ancient world, They put walls around them because the only way armies could attack those cities was to attack on a frontal assault. And so the bigger your wall was, the stronger and the more protected you were. And the enemy knew when they came up against the city, they had to penetrate the wall. And if you couldn't penetrate the wall, then you weren't going to be able to capture the city. And he's saying, God, you are a fortress around me. Lord, you build a wall around me so that the enemy cannot penetrate. And folks, you and I are going to be attacked by some stuff in life that's going to try to penetrate us. We're going to be attacked by fear. And fear is going to try to penetrate into the core of who we are. And if fear gets inside of us, it begins to dictate every move we're going to make. Sometimes we get penetrated by frustration in life. Nothing seems to be going right. And we just want to throw in the towel and give up. But he's saying here that whatever it is that attacks us, Lord, you're my fortress. You build the wall around me. You don't keep the attack from happening, but you keep the penetration of the attack from getting in to me. Next, verse 2. You are my deliverer and the horn of my salvation. Now, the word deliverer there is the idea of you carry me away to safety. You carry me away to safety. Lord, when I get attacked, you come in, you take hold of me, and you carry me away to the place that is safe. 
Now, the term horn of my salvation, throughout Scripture, in the Old Testament, you'll see this horn term used over and over and over again. And I remember I used to read that and get so frustrated because, like, what in the world are they talking about? Why are they all caught up in horns all the time? And again, that's ancient imagery, so let's look at it. In those days, the strongest animals, as it would be the case today, that were known were animals like oxen that had big horns. And when those animals would go into battle with each other, they would use their horns to fight with. And they would, here come the expression, locking horns with each other. Well, that's what literally they would do. They would lock horns with each other in battle. Now, if you looked at an oxen or whatever, you would judge the strength of that oxen by the size of their horns. I remember years ago when I was living in Texas, I used to hear about Texas longhorns. I thought they were just joking until I went to a fair where they had Texas cattle all over the place, and I'd never seen such horns in my life. I understand why they called them Texas longhorns, because they live up to their rep. They got some long horns on the top of their head, and those horns speak of the strength of that animal. That's what they use to defend themselves with, and that's what they use to go on the offensive with if they go into any kind of battle situation. So when he talks about here, he says, you are the horn of my salvation. It is the idea of God, you are the power in my life. It is referring to the power of God and the presence of God and the presence of God in irresistible power. I want to say that again, the presence of God in irresistible power. Now, when God dwells among us and comes among us and makes His presence known among us, He will make His presence known among us in the way that we need His presence known in that moment. God will make His presence known among us in the way that we need to know His presence in that moment. Sometimes when God manifest His presence, we don't get it and we don't discern it because we're looking for God to show up one way and God shows up another way because God knows how He needs to manifest Himself in that minute. And what David is saying here is, Lord, You are the horn of my salvation. You have shown up and been present in my life with Your irresistible power when I have needed it. I have seen Your power on display in ways that I would never have known your power would have been on display. Let me give you two examples from his life. When David was a young boy, he went out to visit his brothers in the army of Israel. And there was this big old giant in the Philistine army named Goliath. And Goliath would come out every day and mock the armies of Israel and challenged the people to a battle. And David saw that, and David heard that as a young man, and he looked at King Saul of Israel, and he says, I will go up there, and I will challenge him in the name of the Lord my God. And everybody thought David was crazy, particularly Goliath. But when David walked out there that day, Goliath began to mock him, and David looked back at him, and David said, I have come in the name of the Lord God of Israel. And with that, he threw the sling and slayed Goliath. Now, what was he saying there when he said, I've come to you in the name of the Lord God? 
He was looking at him and he was saying, God is going to give me the day. God is going to deliver me in it because God is going to show up right now with irresistible power to deliver the victory to me. When God wants to give a victory, He will show up. He will provide the power. He just needs a willing servant to show up and participate in what He's already decided He was going to do. Years later, David had sinned, blown it, messed up, committed adultery, then committed second-degree murder to cover up the sin that he had committed. And he goes to God. And this time he doesn't need victory on a battlefield. He needs victory inside of himself. And he begins to plead and beg God for forgiveness and cleansing. And God begins to cleanse him and forgive him and restore him. And David writes a psalm in which he writes about the experience of the forgiveness of God. And what David discovered in that hour was the irresistible power of God to cleanse us, forgive us, and restore us to himself. Lord, you are the horn, the power of my salvation. We can't deliver ourselves but He has the irresistible power to deliver us. You are the horn, you are the power of what? My salvation. Two key ideas in the term salvation there. Write them down if you will. The first idea is to be delivered to a wide place. What in the world is He talking about there? To be delivered to a wide place. Have you ever used the expression, my back is up against a wall? Or I feel like life is closing in on me? What are we saying? The options are getting narrower and narrower. I'm getting backed up and I can't maneuver much of anywhere. This idea of salvation is the exact opposite of that, that he's delivered me to a wide place. I'm not backed up against a wall. I'm walking freely wherever I want to go. That the walls are not collapsing in on me. Rather, I've got all the space that I need to move around in. I've got freedom. God shows up in His power to say whatever I'm calling you to and whatever my will is that I'm perfecting and want to perfect through your life and around you. I will open up and I will make a broad way for you to live out whatever I am calling you to do and become. Folks, whatever God works in your heart, works in your mind, whatever God calls you to, leads you to, gives you a passion for and says, this is where I want to use you, this is how I want to use you, Satan is going to show up sooner or later and try to back you up against the wall, take all hope from you, and make you feel like you can't put one foot in front of the other and everything's closing in and collapsing on you. And if you will lean into and live into the deliverance, the salvation of God, what he's saying is... I will make a broad way for you. I will open up the way for you and I will give you all the freedom you need to live out my will. Second idea of salvation is that sin is slavery. But He acts to set us free. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15 that when Jesus went to the cross, 
He destroyed the powers of sin. He destroyed the power of death. And He destroyed the power of the law to look at us and say, you blew it, you blew it, you blew it, therefore you are condemned, condemned, condemned. It says that He disarmed all the rulers and the authorities and triumphed over them on the cross. And then He sealed the deal three days later when He rose again from the dead. He is the power of our salvation in that He has taken our sin. He has defeated it. He has taken our guilt and He has defeated it. He has taken our shame that we rightfully deserve and He has defeated it and He has set us free and He has taken our selfishness which gets us in trouble and He defeats it and He has takes everything on the cross that has been set against us. The rulers and the authorities, the things that want to step into our life from Satan and become the ruler and the authority in our life, it says that he nailed all that to the cross. Now the question comes, well, Pastor, why am I living in so much bondage if it's been nailed to the cross? Because if we're not living in the reality of what he did, and Satan tricks us into thinking we've got to live in that bondage, that's the reason. Look with me down at verse 4. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol, that is the grave, entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. He said, I was just being wiped out by the torrents of destruction. I was being entangled and pulled down. Now, go over to verse 16. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. David is saying, I was at that place in life that I was just literally being pulled down. It was wrapped all around my legs, all around my feet. I couldn't walk. I was being pulled down into this, this hole of death. And there was nothing I could do for it and do for myself. And then God reached out to me and He took hold of me and the power in His hand and the determination of His heart was stronger than what was pulling me down. And He reached out, He got a hold of me and He pulled me up stronger than the forces that were pulling me down. And He set me in a new place. It used to be a song. Brent, I don't know if you remember this one or not, when he reached out his hand for me. He had to reach way down for me. I was lost in sin and undone when he reached down his hand for me. And you see, what Jesus did for us on the cross is he reached down where you and I were being pulled down and wrapped around and pulled into this abyss of our sin, our shame, our selfishness, our separation from God. And Jesus did what we couldn't do for ourselves. He reached down, grabbed hold of us, and pulled us up and set us in a new place to serve Him and to know Him and to love Him. And everything that stood around us that said, you can't pull them out, you can't set them free, those rulers and authorities that Colossians talked about, Jesus said, just watch me do it. I am more powerful than you are. You may have thrown them into the hole, but I'm going to pull them up out of the hole. Because that's the power that I've got. 
He says in verse 2 that He is our stronghold. The idea there is being saved from violence. It's the idea of being in a high tower. He's the rock underneath of us on sure footing, but He also takes us to the high tower where you and I are safe. Verses 20 through 24 of Psalm 18 is our responsibility. How do we tap in to His preserving power? How do we live in it? The Lord dealt with me, verse 20, according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, He rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all His rules were before me, and His statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before Him and kept myself from my guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanliness of my hands in His sight. What David is saying in those verses is that I went to Him and I laid myself before Him and I asked Him to cleanse me and that I took His word and with His power I've lived by it. And that is how I took advantage of what God wanted to do in my life. May we pray. Lord, thank you that you meet us in our despair. You meet us in crisis places in our lives. And you meet us at the time of temptation. Lord, if we will reach out to you and take hold of your hand, we don't have to be pinned on the mat. Lord, you will preserve us by your power. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, in just a moment we will sing and have a time of invitation. And if you're here today and you need to give your life to Jesus Christ, grab a hold of his hand that's already reaching out to you. But I want to invite you while we sing to walk the aisle here and say, today I want to follow Jesus. I don't want to take a hold of His hand and I need to know His forgiveness and His presence in my life. If you hear and you're sensing that you just need to come to the altar and pray and experience from Him whatever He has for you, then I invite you to come. If you sense the Lord is leading you to become part of this church family, then we invite you to come. And if standing there as we sing, whatever way you need to reach out to Him, know that He is already reaching out to you. You say, I feel like I'm about to be pulled down and, and drugged down underneath whatever it is that's in out there in life. He says, I am reaching out to you. And with my power, I can pull you up, set you in that wide place. Lord, have your way with us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand together, sing, and come if you will.